folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome into another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and joining me from Pro Football Focus is Anthony Tresh. What's up, Anthony? How much? How you doing? Can you tell me, just real quick, before we get into a draft sim, which I am setting up here on the PFF website, just what this year was like for you covering college football? Because, man, it was weird. It was really, I'll tell you the truth, hard to keep track of. Like, who's playing, who's got COVID, how the bowl games are working. And so for a lot of the season, I I was struggling to figure out when the players I wanted to see for draft purposes were going to be on the football field. And then I kind of watched a lot of the, uh, you know, the playoff, which was absolutely, you know, fantastic from uh, the perspective of Alabama, but almost no one else. So I wonder about just, you know, covering this college football season for you. It had to be weird. Yeah, it was weird and it was a grind. I mean, it seemed like I had a big preview article every week to come out. It was Thursday or Friday. I can't even remember at this point. Um, and it seemed like every single week I'd write up a game, 10 minutes later notification, game's canceled. <laughs> it happened at least two to three times each and every week I wrote that preview. Um, you know, I, I loved it. But, yeah, it was hard to keep up with some of, you know, the game cancellations and some of the guys, you know, you thought they'd play game day, you know, maybe it was 15 minutes before kickoff, like, oh, they're actually not playing. That's kind of significant. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was weird. I was I was happy I was be able to cover college football and get to watch it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm ready for a non-COVID-impacted season, get things back to the norm in a little bit normal. So hopefully next year uh, we're better off in that regard. Yeah, non-COVID everything in this life would be uh, great. And and I've mentioned before on the show how much I deeply missed having fans in the stands at U.S. Bank Stadium just because the atmosphere and everything else. College didn't suffer from that so much. Some of their yeah. states were just like, eh, you know, you go, you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You don't, you don't, who cares? And maybe – that's part of the reason we still have the – that's for a different podcast to cover. So uh, anyway, well, I, I did want to mention how much, by the way, I was watching the national championship game and thinking, like, this Alabama player would fit, this Alabama player would fit. I mean, this Alabama roster, I know that this is like the time is a flat circle or something with Alabama and, and draft prospects, but – I want to know this. Is it ever hard for you when you're watching these guys and, and sort of just thinking about how they might project in the future? 
to, to wonder about like the level of talent that is around every player. Because even in the NFL where the talent is so much closer, it's like if there's a left guard with a great left tackle, it'll make that left guard a little better. If there's a number two wide receiver with a great number one, it'll make that number two a little better. With Alabama, it's like everybody looks like Superman out there. And I think it's really challenging to figure out which guys can play at the next level. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty fair point. You see it, too, a lot with pass rushers. And, too, I mean, we're going to have a big conversation this year with Mac Jones, the quarterback, because of all this elite talent, which, you know, I, it's a fair point to make that he was surrounded by, you know, one of the best wide receivers we've come across in the last couple of decades with Devonta Smith, one of the best seasons. Um, they had Jalen Waddle there for the start of the first four games before he fractured his foot and came back to the national championship game, which I really don't know why he did. Yeah. Um but, you know, you, some of that's kind of involved there. But, you know, with a guy like Mac Jones, I might as well say that you really sh- I don't think there should be as much of a concern as what I think some people are kind of putting on that. Um, you know, he doesn't have the big arm, doesn't have a cannon like Trevor Lawrence. He can't move like Trey Lance. But he does everything else at the position you'd want if you don't have those physical tools. So I think that's kind of what we're worth investing on. But besides the point, but, yeah, that that is a very fair point that, you know, it does make it a little bit tougher with a team like Alabama. I mean, honestly, this Alabama team, I thought LSU's 2019 was the best college team I've ever seen. I think this team may have topped it. There's realistically, there could be a scenario where we see seven, maybe even eight Alabama guys get drafted in the first round. I mean, that would be, that's the limit, but there is a real chance that that happens. Kind of reminds you of uh, the old school uh, Miami Hurricanes where you go through that roster and you're like, okay, it's just a bunch of pro bowlers who all played on the same college football team at once. Uh, let's talk about the Mac Jones point before we get into this draft sim because you've sort of piqued my interest there with your take. I Maybe this is ridiculous. Go ahead, call it ridiculous. But I saw the picture of him without his shirt on after the game, and I was like, nah, Nope, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not in the first round. Not in the first round for a guy who looks like me with a shirt off. And the reason why is um, not because I'm repulsed by his beer belly. It's that, look, that's what Sean Hill, former Vikings backup, looked like. I mean, it's not what the star quarterbacks look like in the NFL. And if you're investing so much in a first-round pick where you have to play the guy, this isn't someone who, like, oh, let's just develop for a little while and see what happens – I mean, I think there's just a a higher athletic threshold for the position than has ever existed before because the Tom Brady that we're going to see on championship weekend, I I don't know if there's ever another guy who plays the position like Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, I I saw that too, and it was a little worse than I thought it would be. I mean, he's listed (laughs) 6'3", 214. It looks like he's a a little bit bigger than that. Um, I'm going to be curious to see what happens, you know, over the course of the next few months because, you know, he's going to get peppered with those questions. I mean, that's going to be the number one thing he's asked about just because he's already at a disadvantage with his his arm strength, which he can get by with. And we haven't really seen him make – you know, he's not going to be utilized in the design run game at all at the NFL level. You know, we haven't really – we've seen him kind of do some things off structure a little bit better than Kyle Strask, um, but it's still not great. Um, Kyle Strask is the quarterback six, Mac Jones quarterback five for us. So, you know, it is a little bit of a concern. Um, and I, I will say once I saw that, I had a mock draft actually come out earlier that day, had him as quarterback four. Made me kind of question it. I mean, it, not, not too much, but it was kind of like – I mean, that is a little bit of a concern. You know, can you kind of, you know, get down to that playing weight and actually make some plays with your legs from time to time? 
Well, and, and even the point about the arm strength and, I mean, in Alabama, you are throwing to the openest of the open wide receivers. And I, I look at some of the quarterbacks who have sort of come up here, and, and I was always the person who said, hey, accuracy first, pocket presence first, uh, over-athleticism even. I might have to change that around with what I saw from the game this year. I mean, you look even at uh, what teams were scoring per game a couple of years ago and, and some of the quarterbacks that were succeeding, and it just feels like it's, it's changed. It feels like pushing the ball down the field and tight window throws and athletic plays are kind of going to have to be the future. And I will say that at least the way that Josh Allen looks right now, I was wrong about Josh Allen because I thought, I don't know how you work around the lack of accuracy. They have. And the same thing with even Justin Herbert. Didn't love him coming out. I was like, I don't know. I don't really see it. And then he comes out and is throwing laser beams down the field. And and then maybe that just has to be where the focus shifts a little bit. So I wonder if you think that there has to be a shift or if someone like Mac Jones can still be a really good franchise quarterback. And I'll just add on that what I have here in Minnesota that I'm covering all the time is Kirk Cousins, not a great athlete, not an elite arm talent, but he also is like the peak of what you can be with a guy like that. And I think that influences the way that I'm looking at it. Yeah. I mean, if you're a team like, you know, the Chicago bears at 20 come to mind, you know, they're in a bad cap situation. You know, they're, they they do not have a whole lot of draft capital. They're not getting one of the top four quarterbacks. And they're, they're playing, I mean, they're, they're kind of building a team for their jobs next season. I mean, that's kind of your best bet at this point. It, it makes sense for teams like that in the middle of the first round. I think even with the positional value, I, 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 I did kind of think of him top 10. I think he's kind of fringe there. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a team like New England, it kind of makes sense there. You know, but, the, you know, the accuracy thing, like with Josh Allen, like that was a complete anomaly. I mean, like, I, I don't think we will ever see, I don't, we will see it again at some point, but I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon. And Justin Herbert, he was very, I, he had a great rookie season, but I'm not completely sold on him completely just because a lot of that success came under pressure when he was in a clean pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a very concerning rate of quarterback fall to completions, whether it was an overthrow, underthrow, putting the ball too far in front or behind. I mean, I was actually pulling some data for an article I have coming out tomorrow um, over at PFF.com analyzing like the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. And just, and I was referencing some inaccuracies and Justin Herbert was still up there in some uncatchable pass metrics downfield, despite, you know, he had some incredible highlight reel throws that I wasn't expecting this year. I certainly did not. I mean, you look back at his uh, last year at Oregon, he was nowhere near making those kind of throws in the biggest games they had. So I've been incredibly impressed with them. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to, I still would put accuracy above that. I mean, the NFL is shifting to these more athletic guys. That's for sure. And I think that's what my, you know, a guy like Trey Lance, that's what I'm pretty concerned about just because, he kind of reminds me of that Josh Allen type of guy where he has all the physical tools you could want, but he is incredibly inaccurate. I mean, we saw that in that one showcase game um, against Central Arkansas. I mean, he looked great on the ground. I mean, he was making him look absolutely silly, trying to, trying to bring him down in the designed uh, quarterback power game there. Um, but he was incredibly inaccurate that game, and he was all in 2019. So I think that's my big reservation with him, and I would I would lean – Still to this day, whether, you know, if it's an inaccurate guy with elite physical tools or a guy with kind of not so great physical tools, but he's pinpoint accurate, then I'd probably go that route. And like with a guy like Mac Jones, he, the playoff was kind of a, um, it, those were kind of bad games to watch with him just because they, what Steve Sarkeesian did, I mean, he just put on a clinic. He opened up throws from him left and right. That was, 
that was a built that game built around, you know, by Steve Sarkeesian and the supporting cast, not so much Mac Jones. He had some good moments in there, but I mean the big plays were because of the playmakers. Um but he still like throughout the year, he had incredible tight window throws downfield. The ball placement continuously was great. And, you know, looking back, his, his tight window three is that it is pretty good as expected. But I mean, you look at a guy like Justin Fields, it's actually half of that. I mean, Justin Fields mm. had the lowest tight window three in college football this year. So that's kind of, I, I would say that that is one concern with a guy like Justin Fields. Um, and it also is with Mac Jones because it was still favorable. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, question marks, you know, with every quarterback prospect in this class, but I still think, you know, that top five, I mean, I, I wouldn't let him get past pick 20. So um, it's funny because even when you have great quarterback classes, you know going into it, like probably only two of these guys become great. And maybe another guy becomes a starter and the other two become terrible. And that's just picking out which ones I think is almost impossible. I mean, in uh, what was it, 2018, I, I loved Lamar Jackson and thought, I can't believe that he's dropping in the draft here for somebody who's such a special athlete. And I was very down on Josh Allen and more high on Josh Rosen because Josh Rosen had a lot of tight window throws and he had a very bad situation with changing offensive coordinators all the time. And I thought that it was sort of funny that everyone said, well, he's, he's too smart. And I was like, well, what kind of criticism is that? He gets in the game and he's terrified. Everything's moving too fast for him. He can't process nothing. And it's just like, nope, this ain't going to work. And it's crazy like that, man. It's crazy to try and figure out who's going to work. We all think that we have some magical power. I had a tweet, by the way, once upon a time saying Pat Mahomes would be the best quarterback in that draft class, just saying. But I thought Rosen would be good too. So it feels like you just kind of roll your dice. I guess you make great points about how like maybe Josh Allen is more of an outlier. I guess I'm just thinking about how good defensive lines are and the athleticism that might be required to get to that upper level of that. And if you're going to overcome how much pressure comes on you and how fast it's either athleticism or crazy arm strength that you could throw off platform, which some of those guys can, or you have to be insane processing and like, how do we know if Mac Jones is insane processing or not? I mean, because I have no idea how that's going to translate. Yeah, and you know that's a very good point because like I left that out because you know you look at like a guy like Mac Jones compared to Kyle Trask and their strength and weaknesses are a little bit similar. Um, you know, you can look at the arm strength and the mobility; those are the kind of knocks on him. But I think Mac Jones has a step on him in both. But the big difference between the two is the processing. That's that's what I think is a differentiator why Kyle Trask is a day two guy. And Mac Jones is a you know first round pick because he has that elite processing and Kyle Trask is incredibly slow. That's what killed him in 2019. He was kind of kind of had his hand held with Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson down there in Florida. That kind of mm-hmm. helped out a little bit this year. So that's what I'm kind of you know I'd, I would even go as far as to say Jamie Newman's worth a you know worth more of a second round pick than a guy like Kyle Trask is just because there's more risk reward there. I want to remind you about our friends at Soda Stick. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, you can get free shipping at SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports inspired goods. There's so many great designs, including Chuck Foreman's Spin Doctor shirts, Skull hats, straight cash homie shirts, and much, much more. And if you are a hockey fan with that getting going soon or a basketball fan, make sure you check out all sorts of great designs. Their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft super comfy shirts and hoodies you will love it that's sodastick.com s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com original minnesota sports inspired goods code purple insider for free shipping 
before we get to the draft sim, I was going to ask you about Newman um, because he's just a guy I know hardly anything about. Like he was uh, hyped up a little bit for like he was going to transfer right to what Georgia and thought of as a big arm guy, good athlete. I tell, you're going to have to tell me more because I haven't seen any of him play. He didn't play this year. Him opting out. This is a whole you know thing with the draft. Is this guy opted out? This guy didn't opt out. How do we know how they would have developed? And it just adds an extra layer of randomness to it. But but what what is your thought on Newman? Yeah, I mean, this was the opt-out that kind of it hit me hard because I really wanted to see him in that Georgia offense. I really thought Georgia, at now seeing this Alabama team, I don't think they could have, but I thought they could have contended for the national championship with Jamie Newman back there just because, you know, Jamie Newman played exceptional in 2019, but in a very, very bad situation. He's in a Wake Forest offense, very up-tempo, RPO-based, just really leaning on his legs. He's a great athlete. He has that mobility you'd want in the NFL but they leaned a little bit too much on it and they didn't utilize, you know, his arm talent. I mean, it's truly special. And you saw that, I mean, even too going further with the bad situation, he had to throw into, we were talking about these tight window throws. He had to throw into a tight window more than anyone in the FBS in 2019. It was somewhere, I think it was about half his throws actually. And like I said, Justin Fields, I think he was around eight or 9% this season. So, I mean, it, it was pretty drastic, but still he ranked second to only Joe Burrow in tight window passing grade. I mean, you look at his accuracy, his downfield touch and ball placement. He understands, you know, the wide receiver's leverage continuously attacks that. I mean, he had this actually the second or third, um, one of the two behind Joe Burrow, a deep passing grade, 20 plus yards downfield too in 2019. You know, and he was going to this pro style system with Todd Munkin, um, down there at Georgia. We really thought he was going to have a special season this year. Um, unfortunately he opted out, which completely understand given the, the situation. Um, totally respect that. So he's kind of, he couldn't really get that first round status that we thought he could possibly claim. So he's, he's still hovering there. He's going to be a day two, second or third round pick, but I think he's going to be, he has a chance to be a steal, but I'm not, I wouldn't, you know, put all your eggs into that basket thinking he's going to end up being the guy that pans out. He's just an interesting guy for me to think about for the Vikings because of their contract situation with Kirk Cousins. It's sort of, you know, they can trade Cousins at some point if they want to because he doesn't have a no trade in in his contract. He's got huge cap hits coming up, and his contract runs out after 2022. So if you were thinking, okay, you can't spend a first because you have so many other needs on a quarterback unless you're sure that guy is going to take over for Cousins. But if you wanted to kind of play it halfway, Newman might be your guy in the third round. And of course, the Vikings, as has been mentioned on this show, occasionally do not have their second round pick because they traded it for Yannick Ngakwe. So anyway, well, that's an interesting sleeper to kind of look for for how and plus no combine, man. I mean, this is just like going to be the Wild West of uh, draft scouting here because you're going to have all these pro days and everything else. But Newman has always been the one that's sort of in the back of my mind. Like, could he get into that top five quarterbacks if he has some crazy pro day, runs a great 40, all those things? I think it's I think it's possible, but, you know, you never know, I guess. Um, so anyway, let me get to this draft sim. So this draft sim on pff.com, and if you go to just mock draft simulator, it's, I mean, just entertainment for days, Anthony. It never stops here. It's a barrel monkeys. Um, and so, of course, this kind of goes the way you'd expect it to. Trevor Lawrence at the top, Justin Fields, Kyle Pitts going at three to Miami if they don't trade for Deshaun Watson. Are you that high on Kyle Pitts? That's crazy. No, not that high. I mean, yeah, that, that's some the randomness involved with that. You never know what's going to happen on draft day. As, we, as we've seen, we, we have seen some pretty crazy things. I love Kyle Pitts, um, but I, I would still lean Jamar Chase. If you're looking for a receiver, 
Uh, I mean, I'm still going Jamar Chase. Whether you you need a tight end and you're you, but you're loaded in wide receiver, I don't care. It's Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, then Jalen Waddle, then you get Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts has a chance to be a very special guy in the NFL, but I, I like those three receivers more. Yeah, I I mean, even when you're just drafting anyone, I know that he's not your regular tight end, but at the tight end position. I think you're playing with fire there, drafting him in the, the very, very top. Because unless you have Travis Kelsey, the overall impact of a tight end um, can be limited in terms of like your wins above replacement. But Penny Sewell to Atlanta makes a lot of sense. Micah Parsons is an interesting guy. I was talking with uh, my friend Chris Trapasso, who does a draft podcast, and he was thinking about Micah Parsons dropping into the middle of the first round to a point where the Vikings would be interested if they were going to move on from Anthony Barr. And this is another opt-out that makes it kind of difficult on everybody analyzing the draft. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see kind of a scenario like that happening. Um, I, I would support that him falling that far. It's not because I don't like Micah Parsons. It's just because the position is really not that valuable to be mm-hmm. taken that early, even though he has, you know, it, he looks like the best off-ball linebacker prospect since Luke Keekley. If, unless you could guarantee me that he is going to be Luke Keekley for your defense, I, I don't think he's worth taking that early. Um, so I, I would be, I would say more of like, you know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that area, you know, like where the Minnesota's picking at 14 would make sense for him. Um, but yeah, the guy, I mean, the guy's an absolute freak athletically. Um, the only knock on him really was just kind of lack of uh, kind of ball production and coverage, which, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, fluky year to year anyway, but he has, you know, the blitzing prowess, the run defense, the instinctual play to actually to be an impact player. So I like Michael Parsons, but not too early given the position. Let me try to give a, a little uh, just tiptoe up to a hot take about linebackers is like the middle tier of linebackers. Give me that guy or this guy or whatever. It's just not going to make that big of a difference. But that 5% at the very top, Eric Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, if you have those guys every team is trying to manipulate linebackers with their offense. And I just watched game after game the last two years of Eric Kendricks reading route combinations behind him, accelerations, stuffing, you know, run gaps and everything. And just, it made such a huge impact. He goes out for a game and then they give up 52 points to the new Orleans saints, uh, whose offense maybe not as explosive as we thought watching that game. So I, I guess I think that, like you said, if it's going to be that very, very upper tier, I think those guys still have a huge, like, wins above replacement value, but almost nobody else below them. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, that's a good point to make. Um, we get to 14 here, and, I mean, I feel like there would be celebrations inside of the Vikings draft room, just like there were when uh, Justin Jefferson was not picked. Uh, Devontae Smith, Quiddy Pay. Rashawn Slater, Gregory Russo, and Christian Barmore are my best options here for the Vikings. And uh, now on this show, uh, I've mentioned more than once the value of a great wide receiver to go with Justin Jefferson for the future. But this seems like some great options here. We've got an edge rusher from Michigan who's a beast. Rashawn Slater, the Vikings always need more offensive line. Gregory Russo, a physical freak defensive end. And Christian Barmore, who was unbelievable in the college football playoff. Uh, which one are you taking? So you said Devonta Smith was in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would take, even though yeah, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, they're absolutely great. One of some of the highest grade wide receivers this year. You got to go with Devonta Smith. I mean, that would be a three-headed monster. Um, you ha- it's just the positional value at that point. It's not a need. Pass rush is a huge, huge need. But you look at a guy like Quiddy Pay, who you know he's he's 
perfect, you know, physical tools. We've been mentioning this. He has those. The athleticism definitely has those. It was just kind of the, the pass rush toolbox we're kind of waiting to see. We saw that a little bit this year, but a lot of his productions, and he only played, I think, like four games. Um, a lot of his production came against Indiana tackles, and Indiana t- tackles were on, you know, Kansas's level bad. You know, <laughs> they, they, that was, they were a good team this year, but their tackles were absolutely horrendous. So, I mean, you kind of have to throw that tape out. He's still kind of a projection. And Christian Barmore, yeah, I mean, like you said, he he made himself a lot of money in that college football playoff, a lot of money, because he was looking like a talent, the first guy we were expecting, kind of that Quinn and Williams-esque rise um, out of him this year. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he looked like Quinn and Williams did when he was at Alabama in the college football playoff, and he absolutely abused Notre Dame's offensive line, and that's the best offensive line in college football, you know, outside of Alabama's this year. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad with – any of those, but I'm, you have to go with Devonta Smith. I mean, the guy is just hard to pass up where you're picking there at 14, kind of ignored need there. And I just, you know, this is a fan base that kind of is not all in on the idea of drafting a receiver because they're more of a run first type of offense. But I also think this is a franchise that once ran Randy Moss, Chris Carter, and Jake Reed out there and went 15 and one with Randall Cunningham as their quarterback. Like you can recreate a three deep type of situation and lean heavily into the offense. And and one of the things that we even see with championship weekend is like, look at these teams, which one of these teams has the number one defense, the 85, like nobody. What do they all do? They throw the ball like crazy effectively. And at least some of these teams like the Bills uh, and the Chiefs have all sorts of weapons to do it to. And I I just thought last year, Anthony, that when they got in a third and eight situation, they were throwing to their third tight end or something sometimes because teams were just doubling up on Jefferson and Thielen. And if you know the strengths and weaknesses of Kirk Cousins, he won't throw that ball when his guy is doubled give him another weapon. But I also think that Mike Zimmer would probably have his top explode uh, into a million pieces if they drafted a wide receiver with a defense that was 27th in the league. Yeah. I mean, that is a, it's a very good point. Um, I I don't think Devonta Smith's going to be there, unfortunately, but hypothetically, I think that would be the right move. I wouldn't even rule out. Did we have Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertango off the board? uh, Yeah. Both of them went off the board Farley at 11 and Sertain at 10. This and yeah, this if, would be one where Vikings fans would lose it because the Vikings love to draft corners, but drafting corners is good. Exactly, and you know it's you don't want to give up on Cameron Dantzler. You know Cameron Dantzler had two of the best games we saw by rookie corner. After, outside of those, it was really bad. Jeff Gladney, you can't give up on those guys quite yet, just because you know looking back, you know our guy, uh, data scientist Timo Riske, he lives out in Germany, actually from there. Um, he had a great data study that I recommend everybody go check out. Um, he looks at, you know, when do you expect, you know, how much should you look into rookie performance? You know, you should really ex- look into year two before you start judging mm-hmm. players. And yeah. it's very like that for defensive backs. You know, it matters most for draft position too, you know, when you're trying to project careers after year two. So, I mean, I would, you know, it's kind of concerning that they haven't been producing all that well at all remotely close, um, but not to give up on it, but you still have to keep throwing darts because that's the position that matters the most on the defense, that's how you're going to make your cheddar and kind of become, you know, go from a liability to something that's not, you know, bad at all. You don't have to be having an elite defense, but you just have to make sure you can cover, you know, that's the biggest thing. And so you keep throwing darts. And I think after Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertain, this this secondary class is just really, really bad. So if you're going to throw some darts, throw them early because I don't think you're going to find too many gems late in the rounds. 
All right, everybody, the Super Bowl is coming up, and sure, we'll all be watching the game, but the best way to celebrate the biggest day in football is to bet on the game. And we want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors, the Action Network. The Action Network is where fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting, and with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up, for the Action Network Pro subscription. You can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game across professional leagues. You can see money and bet percentages on every game so you know which team the professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. And you can track every bet to make sure that you get alerts in real time. So when you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. Just go to ActionNetwork.com now. Receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code INSIDER. This offer won't last, so go to ActionNetwork.com, sign up for a Pro subscription, and use the promo code INSIDER to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. Yeah, and uh, to transition kind of into asking you about the championship weekend, I mean, Buffalo does not have a defensive lineman that most people can name. I mean, Bruce Smith does not exist there. Um, I mean, even Lorenzo Alexander for his one amazing year, like they don't have that guy. Jerry Hughes is okay. Everybody else is just a guy, but their secondary is fantastic. And they were a mid-pack team that when kind of push comes to shove in the playoffs, they've been pretty good when it comes to their coverage. I think that's what the Vikings could do because I just don't see like, oh, just draft this guy and all of a sudden your pass rush is top 10. You have way too far to go. Christian Barmore isn't doing that by himself. I mean, you need like game-changing players over years that are developed or signed. Uh, I don't think it's a, a snap your fingers, but you can get to that point with a secondary when you already have Harrison Smith and, and two young corners that you're rising on. But um, give me what we should take away. If teams are drafting and they're looking at the most successful four teams and they're saying, you know what, we should draft this way because of blank, what would it be? I mean, it's, you know, you look at, it's not even drafting so much, but like, look what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done. I mean, of course they brought in Tom Brady, but they're attacking the receiver position significantly. Um, you've seen Scotty, Scotty Miller make some plays. That was kind of a steal back in 2019. Tyler Johnson, you know, he had that great catch on uh, this past weekend. He's made some plays this year too. You know, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, keep going and going, going. And, you know, they kind of struggled early on with some jobs, but they've been picking up, getting on communication. And, you know, it's just attacking the positions that really matter. You know, like I said, the secondary receiver and quarterback, those are the, those are the three most important positions on the field. It's the most, the three most valuable positions on the field. I mean, that's what you really have to attack. I mean, you could see it with all three of them. Look at Buffalo with Stephon Diggs. I mean, they mm-hmm. acquired him via trade. And it's been a huge game changer for their offense. Tyree Kill is the absolute cheat code for the Kansas City Chiefs, along with Travis Kelsey. And then um, with the Green Bay Packers, you have Devontae Adams. is one of the filthiest route runners in the game, an incredible release package. I mean, him and Aaron Rodgers, that, that is almost an unfair duo. I mean, that's what makes – that's why those teams are in the, the championship games this weekend. It's not because of – you know, it's not because Rashawn Gary's just blown up the last three games for the Green Bay Packers. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do, you know, with, you know, Devin White blitzing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whatever it is. You know, it has to do with, you know, the most important positions on the field. And that's quarterback, receiver, 
in cornerback. And that's what you kind of have to address, especially that's very important, you know, not to commit yourself to need, you know, drafting for need early on. Uh, and I think a lot of Vikings fans would say that also you notice that some of these quarterbacks have better pass protection than the Vikings have had in the last few years. So let me let me end on this. Um, I uh, Slater, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern was the only guy that was in the section that I could have drafted in my draft sim. Is there someone that is not named Penesul who's worth taking in the middle of the first round as an offensive lineman? This is a question that every Vikings fan is desperate to hear your answer on, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, the, this draft is very, very interesting. I think there's three positions that are absolutely loaded and better than most classes that you'll see. Um, quarterback, wide receiver, and tackled. Every other position is very, very bad. I mean, you're going to be <laughs> – they're very scarce. You're not going to get a whole lot of great value um, after the first round. But at tackle, you know, I wouldn't be – I would be okay with Rashawn Slater, Christian Darris, Paul Tevin Jenkins, or Samuel Cosme being the second tackle off the board. I'd be fine with any of those. And, and one of them is going to fall to the second round. It's, it's inevitable. And so there's going to be a team that's going to get good value in the second round. So – I mean, Penny Sewell is the clear-cut best. You know, he's going top five, should go top five. But after that, you know, I, it, any of that bunch is going to be, you know, you're going to get pretty good value. Are you suggesting that trading away a second-round pick for a guy who's basically a situational rusher type of talent on a defense that had a lot of, lot of, lot of holes was maybe not the best long-term play? Are you, are you hinting at that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll say it straight up. Yeah, that was a, it was not a good decision at all. No, <laughs> it wasn't no. at the time. Still isn't now. No, the second, the recent second rounders for the Vikings. I mean, Irv Smith, good player. Brian O'Neill, guy that they're going to pay, who's really very, very good. Delvin Cook. Uh, if you're going to draft a second round running back, have him be second in the NFL in rushing. And that's the pick you trade away. Not great. Not great. Well, uh, what is great <laughs> is uh, your coverage at PFF. You are the uh, Sorry, I'm I'm sorry to laugh at this, but the senior analysts, um, you and I do have the same issue of not being able to grow facial hair yet, but I think that's because you're of your age. But you are the senior college football analyst for Pro Football Focus. You you honestly do terrific work. Love when I hear you on the podcasts. Um, so I hope we can get together and do this again during draft season. I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, thank you for the kind words and thanks for having me. I'm I'm still working on the beard. Hopefully, it's never going to happen. Hopefully, in a few years. I'm I know 34. my my friend the trees. Look at this. This is this is several days not shaving. Yeah, I'm the same way. My family tree. I look at everyone else, and I'm like, oh, so you had to wait till you're 30. It's like I, I got got a few years yet. So yeah, probably not. But that's all right. That's all right. Uh, it, focus on football and not facial hair. So we'll uh, that's words to live by. <laughs> we'll do it again soon, man. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you.